make this little four canine pup. It's great for calling elk. You can call big bulls in with this same call, but I turn it over to use my lower lip. And... You can sound like that old rabbit. And let's, you know, 75% of a coyote's diet is those small ground dwelling mammals, moles, voles, mice, rabbits, stuff like that. The other 25% is your white tailed deer. So if somebody wants to grow white-tailed deer, they have got to be hunting coyotes where they do that, or else those coyotes are killing those fawns. They'll get three to five fawns a year, just one coyote. And uh, so if you'll just take out... Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn to climb... Hey, Redbone, did you hear about that new deer feed? What new deer feed? Hey, Buck Grits, boys, you ain't heard of that yet? Buck Grits? BuckGrits.com. Well, tell us about it. What makes it better than any other deer feed? Well, Buck Grits has got the protein a deer needs. It's got the fat a deer needs. It's got the amino acids. It's got the energy. It's got it all, brother. It's going to well, bring them back after the rut, and it's going to put a rack on their head. And it's going to help the lactate and doe, I assume, too, after they have the fawns. That's right. Keep the fawns going and get them for the next crop. Well, where can I get Buck Grits? buckgrits.com you can get a sample you can order it directly from the website and we're coming to a retailer near you if you want to help a deer herd use buck grits wise eye apex ammunition Forty ammunition amped outdoors eagle seed presents american roots outdoors we are calling from the lodge here the american roots outdoors rutledge lodge wayne walks here by my side with his hornady cap and his hoodie like he's freezing to death. We've got ice and snow, and it's we've got hit hard, haven't we, guys? We have. And, you know, the, and, and it's been really an interesting storm to watch. And, of course, in my line of business, I watch the weather really close. That's what I do. But uh, we've had thunder sleet this morning, Alex, and we've had lightning. We've had hail on top of the freezing rain in some areas. And we've even had some tornadic activity in the upper atmosphere. We've seen some instances this morning, and this being Thursday we're recording, we've had some rotation in the clouds like you would get during a thunderstorm where there might be a tornado. This has been the craziest storm I've ever seen in my life. It's thundering right now as we speak in the background. It's funny that you say that. Mm-hmm. And we have about two, two and a half inches of ice right now, don't we, Wayne? Yes, yeah, there's quite a bit of ice. And even Renee earlier, my wife was saying, you know, hey, are, are, is there any chance for a tornado today? Because it uh, it was thundering pretty hard and lightning. And I said, well, I said, there's no, you know, it, it's possible. <laughs> we are in the Ozarks. You never know. <laughs> That's exactly right. You never know. I didn't even get, I, there's so much ice, I didn't even bother trying to open my car door or anything or truck door. I just took and uh, got my coffee, threw in my Hornady hat, and walked across the street over here to Alice's house. Street! He street. said street! He said Dang street it. again. Uh, no! A re- it was a relapse. It was a relapse. Well, all right. <laughs> uh, the weather is terrible. The wildlife needs all the help they can get right now on this ice, Wayne Redbone. And I went and fed some buck grits. I'm out. I'm having to buy it off of Wayne or borrow it from Wayne right now to feed my critters. But I went back and filled up the feeder that you uh, built me, Wayne, and they was on it within two or three minutes. They are hungry. Yeah, we need to really help these animals right now uh, during this crucial ice storm. And that's why buck grits makes a great product. And my wise eyes send me pictures and you can see these turkeys come here. It's fine. It's small. It's easy to digest. That's what I like about 
but it's even though it has the protein, the fat content, and all that, uh, we need to help them. You agree, Wayne? Uh, I agree, and I know Mike will agree with this. He's more of a weather expert than I am, but the uh, the advantage of having those feeders and that up off the ground is because when this with this ice storms coming in, they can't get to it yeah. if it's on the ground. The clover and all our Eagle Seed plots that they normally would be hitting, if it was just snow, the turnips and stuff like that, they can't even touch right now. They can't even dig through it. I mean, you take the heel of your cowboy boot, you kick the ground, it's like kicking a, a cement. I mean, it's crazy. So you can't expect the deer to be able to paw through it to eat. So, you know, get out there and get the, take care of your herd, take care of your, your wildlife and your birds. Yeah, I would agree. I was going to add the birds there, Wayne. And a lot of people say, "Well, I don't want to, I don't have any bird seed. What do I do?" Well, you know, you probably got some some old stale hamburger buns and hot dog buns and and bread in the pantry somewhere. Just tear that up and throw it out on top of the snow. The birds will appreciate it. Yes, and I tell you what, these feeding sites, something that you need to think about too when you go to dumping it on the ground, which I feed in the yard on the ground, but I move it occasionally and we also have feeders in the yard is that predators will key in on these places, too. So when you put your feeders up and you're feeding at these feeding sites, you need to strategically think about what you're doing. You don't want to set up the thick thick areas where predators can slip in and catch something. So that's going to be the topic of this show. We've got world champion, elk-calling champion, predator-calling champion, Big Al Morris, my past pro staff brother at Hunter Specialties, going to be our guest today. He's going to share with us some of his predator hunting tactics, and he's going to do some calling for us and try to help our listeners become better predator hunters or even help them get started in it. It's going to be a great show, guys. Yeah, it'll be a good program. And Alex, before we take the break here, uh, last week you were asking me about those uh, Liberty Eagles uh, basketball team. And, uh, uh, of course, Liberty and Thayer played earlier this week. How, how did that come out? <laughs> Hey, we played with you guys until the half, until uh, you come back after halftime. It's like we didn't even show up. Well, so see, I congratulations. See, I would say the same. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Say this. I would say the same thing. Thayer played with Liberty for the first half and then came out and decided to get serious and uh, outscored them 36 to 9 in the second half. Well, that goes to show you, in no disrespect, uh, that our team did not adjust to what you guys was doing. And when you, you know you live and you die by the three point, we got to play an inside game to compete with anybody, and that was our weakness all year, trying to live and die by the three, and it killed us. But yeah. I'm proud of our boys, and uh, it is what it is. And congratulations to Thayer. I hope Thayer goes on along to win the state championships. But uh, thank you for for uh, bringing that to everybody's attention, <laughs> Redbone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you're kind of rubbing me last week, so this, this week I get the rub. Always, back. we got to keep mouthing each other. I say, if he's not picking on me with the Steelers with Kansas City, he's picking on hey, you. So. Paybacks are heck. And also, I want to congratulate all the other teams that's in our listening area. Oh yeah, uh, on their success too in Cape Girardeau areas and Sykeston and Popper Bluff and Ava, Springfield area, Harrison, Arkansas, Mountain Home, all those areas of success. Uh, to all of them that's listening in our listening area. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we've got Big Al Morse, world champion predator caller, going to teach you how to call predators. Don't go away. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors right after this. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Waddy with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Wishing on some love. 
I've been on a big board for a while, like a load him in the back of my truck. Redbone, what would you say if I could tell you that you could kill a buck on a certain day? I would say you're crazy. There's no way to predict how the bucks are going to move. Well, you're wrong. There's a new camera out called Wise Eye Technologies. These guys can predict the actual deer movement exact time that a deer is going to come through. Really? Wise Eye Technology? This camera has five megapixel pictures, has a GPS system built inside, and it's an experience using this camera. It collects data and tells you the movement, wind direction, everything. On a camera? On a camera. WiseEyeTechnologies.com. And how do I find out more information about these guys? You go to wiseeyesmartcam.com. I'm using them. You should, too. Make your hunt easier. Use Wise Eye. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rose and friends. And we're sitting here in the cabin, the American Roots Outdoors cabin here in front of my house. And we've got about two, two and a half inches of ice on the ground. And we've got our special guest, world elk calling, world predator calling champion, Big Al Morse. He was a pro staff brother back in the HS days. Welcome to the show, Big Al. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, Alex? Red Bone and everybody, how you doing? We're doing fantastic. <laughs> we got five inches of snow last night, which we desperately needed out here in the West. But uh, that ice, I only I only been hunting one time in the ice, and there was about an inch and a half of ice, and then there was about a foot of snow underneath it, and everybody else could walk on top, and I kept breaking through. It was kind of, I hated it. <laughs> Tell them how tall you are and how much you weigh, Big Al. Well, I'm 6'2", I, I was 310 pounds, now I'm down to a lean 275, but I'm Ooh. just one biscuit shy of 300. Now, did you, hey, we're going we're to talk about your roots real quick here. Tell everybody where Big Al Morris was born. I was born in Provo, Utah, at the hospital there. My dad uh, milked 60 head of Holstein cows every day of my life till I was 10 years old. So uh, I was raised on a dairy farm, and... and uh, those that have milked a cow know how that life can be. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, growing up on that dairy, I had a, a red rider. Dad bought me a red rider. Santa Claus showed up with a red rider BB gun when I was four and a half in December. And me and that red rider BB gun and two short-haired pointers, there was nothing safe around that farm. <laughs> do you still have your red rider? I do, and I got to tell you a funny story. Uh, my dad said at Christmas I couldn't have BBs till my uh, uh, birthday in August, and he come out there in April, and I had five or six starlings, a whole bunch of sparrows, and a rat. <laughs> and he asked me where I got my BBs, and I looked right him in the eye, and I said, "I don't have BBs, Dad." And man, he whipped me around and kicked my butt and flipped me back around. I was so scared. I was crying. <laughs> I'm like, why'd you do that? And he said, you lied to me. Now, where'd you get the BBs? And I said, I don't have BBs. And he flipped me around and kicked me again. He said, don't you lie to your dad now. This is your last chance. Where did you get the BBs? And he said, I reached into both pockets. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Russian olive seeds. They look like little tiny watermelons about the size of a BB. And I I had sized up 5,000 that would slide down the barrel of that Red Rider BB gun. And I didn't need BBs. He put up a can and I, I hit that can at about 10 yards with that with that uh, Russian olive seed, and he reached in his pocket, handed me a $5 bill. He said, go buy some BBs before you ruin your damn gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's great that so, you go 
And I actually have on my mantle above my fireplace in my cabin my Red Rider that my grandmother bought me when I was three years old. So it's 50 years wow. still sitting up there. And uh, that I, I shot my very first you know, little bird with that. She, she was a, uh, a songbird lover. And she says, if you ever see a black-throated sparrow in my garden, you take it out. You know, And sure enough, I was, yep. I was five or six when I, when I shot, shot it for the first time to actually add an, add an animal and got it. And uh, she was so proud of me because she said, I, I saved a, uh, a songbird baby's life because I guess they used to take over and mess the babies out and that. And so that was her, yep. her goal. I was her little... Uh, Black-throated sparrow killer. <laughs> no, that was my job around the farm was to make sure there was nothing that didn't belong there. Right, exactly. Rats, mice, you name it. It was. Yeah, great. no, that was my job, and I took it pretty serious. Me and them two short-haired pointers, we were pretty good at it. Yeah. Now, Redbone. Yeah. Did you ever get a Red Rider? I did get a Red Rider. Uh, first thing I ever killed with it was a red-headed woodpecker. And uh, my mom came outside, and I was sitting on the front porch, and I was crying. And she says, what's the matter with you? I said, I killed a bird. <laughs> <laughs> He's from, he was raised in St. Louis, so you understand why. Well, actually, actually, at that time, I lived in Thayer. We lived out of Rose Hill, just about a, a mile from where I live right now. And, uh, yeah, I just it made me feel bad killing that bird. But I want to tell you a quick story, and you made me think of this, uh, Wayne, uh, talking about shooting the sparrows and stuff out of the garden. My dad used to have bird feeders, and he loved to feed the cardinals and, and the blue jays and, and those kind of birds. But he hated it when the doves would come. He didn't like doves getting his feeders because they would just take over. So uh, he got him, He had him a BB gun. It wasn't a Red Ryder, some kind of BB gun. And he would shoot those doves to keep them out of his, his bird feeders. And uh, my brother-in-law and I, uh, we went to the store and we bought some uh, dove decoys. And we went out there when he wasn't home and we attached them to the bird feeders. <laughs> And he, he got out there, he saw those doves, and he went and he got his BB gun, and he shot, and he shot. He said, I bet you I shot 20 times at those birds, and they never would leave. He said, what'd you do? He said, I went and got my 410. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have any bird feeders anymore. So did he laugh about it, or did he did he chase you around about it? Well, we you know I was in my fifties at that point, so he, he didn't whoop me, but <laughs> he wasn't real happy about it anyway. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So big Al. So you yes, went, sir. You, you was born in Utah. Uh, let's talk about uh, your your school years. You went to grade school where, and you, did you play sports in high school? Oh yeah, no, I played football and I wrestled and. And I did all that at, at Springville High School, graduated in 1984, and did a stint up at Utah State University, had some fun up there, and uh, studied wildlife management. But it was really interesting. I was in a psychology class. You know, you have to take all those different classes. They want you to get a degree. And I was in a psychology class, and it was opening week of deer season here in Utah. And from where I was on campus, I could look up there, and I counted 13 orange jackets on the hill. <laughs> and uh and uh uh psychology professor's walking through the the classroom and he goes and we've lost mr morris again he's staring out the window and I, they start giggling at me and i'm i'm not even paying attention to that man i wasn't listening yeah. i was sitting there wishing i was on that hill and he walks over and he he leans down next to my desk and he goes what do you see and scared the crap out of me <laughs> and everybody in the class everybody in the class started laughing and he said what are you looking at I said, well, there's 13 people up there deer hunting on that hill. And he goes, you wish you were there, don't you? And I said, yes, sir, I do. He says, 
Mr. Morris, you're doing me no good in this classroom. You find you a job that puts you outside up on that mountain. That's where you belong. And that was the smartest professor I ever had classes from. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm he good. knew right then and there I should be outside. And anyway, long story short, you know, life comes along. You have, you get a wife and you get a couple babies and you're being a plumber and you're, you're, you're working on building stuff. And then a uh, buddy calls you up and says, I need you to come guide elk hunters. And man, I I started guiding elk hunters in 1990. I learned how to, you know, you know my story, Alex. Uh, yeah. 1983, I was 16 years old going to high school when my dad read an article in Outdoor Life about a guy taking turkey diaphragms and starting to call elk with it. His name was Wayne Carlton. And Rich LaRocco wrote that first article in Outdoor Life. And that is the funniest story ever is when my dad read that article, sat right up in his lazy boy and goes, oh, crap. Only he swore and and uh, my mom goes, Charlie, your son's in the room. My dad wouldn't have said crap if he had a mouthful of it. Yeah. And he was swearing, in the, and, and he's lazy boy. And my mom says, what's wrong with you? He said, this guy says he can call elk within feet. In 1976, my dad started hunting the book cliffs of eastern Utah, and it's some of the best elk hunting in the country. And he had a black plastic flute that would just do that, <laughs> you know, just kind of a high two-tone whistle. And then elk would answer him, but those elk would – Every time Dad would move closer and blow his whistle, the elk seemed to move away from him. He said, all they do is keep track of me and move away from me. This guy says he can call elk within feet, that he can almost touch them. He says, I'm... Anyway, Dad picked up the phone right then and there, not two, you know, 970-245-2447, whatever that number was, of Wayne Carlton. And Wayne Carlton answered the phone. And he said, hello, it's Wayne Carlton. My dad said, Wayne Carlton, you're full of crap. And he said, who am I talking to? And he said, Chuck Morris in Springville, Utah. He said, Chuck, you sound like an OBS kind of guy. He said, this is the best elk calling system ever going to get made. And uh, make that long story shorter, dad said, well, send it. And he said, post-date your check 30 days, Chuck. If you don't like what I send you, box it up and ship it back. You'll, you'll never, I'll never cash your check. And Wayne Carlton told me he did that over 90 times. People would call him wow. up. They told him he'd send him a check, and he sent. He would send that stuff out before he ever received payment. Could you do that today? Oh, I don't wow. think so. Wow. So he did it over 90 times, and, and two days later, UPS showed up in our driveway in a little box that had the grunt tube, three diaphragms, and a cassette tape. And of course, back in the early 80s, I had that boom box, so I threw that tape in there. Calling Elk with Wayne Carlton. We threw them diaphragms in our mouth, and, and I bet most of your listeners that have tried to use a diaphragm know how exasperating that first experience can be. My dad gagged, choked, you, <laughs> um, talked that diaphragm about six feet. Man, after about two hours, we hadn't made any noise, and, and uh, he dialed up that number again, and it was September 10th, 1983. Wayne had the mules loaded in his trailer, heard his phone ringing, and ran into the house, and he said, Hello, this is Wayne Carlton. My dad said, Wayne Carlton, I know you're full of crap now. And he said, Chuck Morris from Springville, Utah, what's wrong? <laughs> he said, well, we've been trying to blow these things for three hours, and we ain't made noise. He said, you said we. Who's we? Well, my 16-year-old kid's trying to. He said, "What? put him on the phone, Chuck. I may be able to help him. He said, what are you doing, son? I said, Wayne, I put it in my mouth and sucked backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, good golly, don't do that. I'll be calling 911 from Montrose, Colorado to Springville, Utah. I have somebody rotor rooter that thing out of your throat. He said, you got to turn it around and blow. And he said, touch your tongue to your forehead. And I turned that call around. And he said, all right. And Wayne Carlton put a call in his mouth and in five minutes had me doing full cow calls, full bugles, 
And my dad's sitting there looking at me with his mouth wide open going, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, but it works. <laughs> and then he says, hey, we're gonna that, you know, that was here. Big Al, we're going to take a break. Everybody, save that. Save that. We're gonna All right. Honey, you're listening to America Reach Outdoors with our special guest, Big Al Morse, world elk calling, world predator calling champion, world hunting predator champion. Don't go away. We'll be right back. More right after this. Right here, right now, this is Chancey Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. How many of you are tired of your batteries running out of energy, out of power? Let me tell you about Amped Outdoors. I've changed using the batteries I have had in the past. Amped Outdoors, I have the new 80 amp, 24 volt, single battery, weighs 46 pounds. This thing has produced energy all day long. Tested for two days, total use 11 hours. Cannot tell the batteries have even lost any energy. Go to Amped Outdoors if you want to be successful and not run out of power. Buck Grits presents. Welcome back to America Roots Outdoors. Man, what a fun time we're having with Big Al Wayne and Redbone. Yeah, great stories. And you know, when when stories are real, it makes them even better. (laughs) Well, some of the stuff you can't make up, the truth is, (laughs) you know, better than fiction. I've always loved about you, Big Al. You're just, you're plain spoken. You're a real country. You're the real deal, and that's why I've always loved following you, and, and it was an honor to be your pro staff, brother. We've talked about you learned to use the elk calls. Let's talk now about uh, you getting into predator hunting. Let's talk about who took you your first time and and uh, your your first experience with, with calling predators. Well, you know, I was 12 years old, and my dad had about 23 or 25 racehorses. When we sold the dairy in 1976, I was 10 years old. A couple of years later, my dad got into raising and racing quarter horses. And uh, make that along, you know, there, that's a whole other issue story there. But uh, my dad had to go get hay every fall. Every summer, he would uh, he contracted with a guy down in Delta to go uh, uh, buy some hay, which was about an hour and a half from our house out west and and he would just buy the hay the guy would would bail it and then he would go pick it up out of the field and save some money and so i get home and he's got the trailer hooked up to the truck and i started kicking her off so i knew what was going on dad had to go get some hay and he said go get your shafts go get your jeans on get your boots he said grab that lever action winchester model 88 grab a box of bullets he said i saw a coyote out in the field when i was down there this morning just open it out he said there's a coyote out in that field he said bring that old winchester 243 and let's get her done you tell a 12 year old to grab a winchester and some bullets it's on (laughs) and i don't i don't remember ever going to uh i just don't remember ever going anywhere that i was so damned excited to have a have the winchester and a box of bullets and and uh anyway we drive that hour and a half, and I don't even remember. You know, usually that trip would took forever. By the time we got there, we pull up, and all I see is bales of hay for as long as a guy can see, and there is not a coyote amongst them. 
And I'm all, I looked at my dad. I said, this was a ruse. You just got me all excited for nothing. He goes, no, that coyote was right here by the gate when I left. And uh, I went to open it. And if you've ever done a cowboy gate, a 12-year-old that yeah. it's strung tight, a 12-year-old can have a problem opening them cowboy gates. And I'm pressing on the one side to get that wire off of that. I'm standing by a big uh, railroad tie that they'd buried in it was the corner post of that gate. And uh, I looked down, the and the, the grass on our side of the fence was about two and a half foot tall, and the, everything had been cut inside the fence. And I looked. About 30 yards from me, he's a coyote sitting there looking at me. Mm. And it turned into like the $6 million man. I started running for the truck, and Dad could see that coyote trotting out across that field. So he opened the action on that 243, slammed that clip in there that was loaded with bullets when we pulled up. And I remember he, remember, he handed me the gun by the barrel, and he said, Don't shoot me. Don't close that action until you're clearing this truck. <laughs> and I slammed that old Winchester lever action closed and I ran to that uh, railroad tie and I put that 243 on the top of that tie and I remember it really well because I was shaking so bad <laughs> uh, that, that old coyote's j jogging out across that field now he's about 100 yards and I remember that coyote looking back over his shoulder looking to see if I was going to shoot at him or not and I pulled the trigger on that 243 and that bullet creased that coyote right between both ears. Hmm. And I mean, just about a half inch deep and dropped him in his tracks and his tail was flicking out that field. And I was so damn excited. I killed my first coyote. <laughs> I run out there and dad says, what are you going to do with it now? I said, we're going to skin it. And he says, oh, you've done that, huh? I said, nope, but I read in outdoor life how to tube skin a coyote. He said, I'll tell you what, son, we're going to load hay for the next, we're going to get our hay loaded and then we'll skin this coyote. So it took us less time to load 50, 80 bales of hay than it did to skin that coyote. It took us about three hours to skin that first coyote. <laughs> he said, what are you going to do with it now? I said, I'm going to sell it. He said, who are you going to sell it to? I said, old man Steele, Santa Clem, Utah, is buying furs. And we next day, my dad, being the good man he was, drove me 15 miles to Santa Clem. And we handed that hide over, and old man Steele looked at it. And he goes, this is a nice coyote hide. And he turned it inside out, and he said, you ain't skinned very many, have you? I said, no, sir. He said, hell, I'm going to have to sew for three hours just to get the pipe <laughs> so I can sell it. He said, the next one you kill, son, you just bring to me, and I'll show you how to do it right. <laughs> awesome. He says, where do you live? I said, in Springfield. He says, you got by that old spring creek? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, um, you got muskrats in that ditch of yours? I said, absolutely. He said, I'll pay you $3 for every muskrat you bring me. That was the worst thing that guy ever did to give me 27 bucks for that coyote hide and $3 a muskrat because that turned me into a fur-catching machine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that first $27, I bought my first two boxes of duck shells for my own duck hunting. My mom and dad didn't have to buy them shells. I bought them. Yep. And my buddies, I was shooting Tweety Birds just to show them how many shells I had. <laughs> and... Uh, the next time we went duck hunting, and man, that changed my life, getting paid to to go harvest that animal. And then, of course, when I was 16, I learned how to use that diaphragm. The first the first elk hunt we went on, I was up a canyon by myself, just kind of messing around on that diaphragm, making noises. Here comes seven pup coyotes and two adults in September. You know, they still together, one big mob. I had nine coyotes coming at me, and uh, they spread out and got about – 25 yards from me to have that many coyotes that close. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous at the time, <laughs> but, uh, it, uh, it, it 
it it stirred something inside me. You know, it it changed me forever. It's something that I just really love to do, and uh, it that's how I got into the coyote calling and. And uh, I killed my first one at 12, and then in 1997, me and Garvin, the first world championship we ever entered, we won. And we thought that'd be easy. We'll do it again. Well, it was 2007 before we won it a second time. <laughs> then we became the only ones to win at three and back-to-back in 2008. But what's really cool about 2008 is I won that third world coyote calling championship in December, and two months later, I won the world elk calling championship Beautiful. in 2009. Wow. So I was the only adult, you know, Dick Kirby had five or six different world championships, different animals, but, uh, um, he never had them at the same time. And I had the world elk and the world coyote at the same time, 2008, 2009. So, and then I was 50 years old, 51 years old, 2016, we won it again. Uh, so we came to four, the only four time world champs, Bill Countess rules. And uh, and it's just cool to have four world coyote calling championships, one world elk, and and uh, just being a redneck from Springville, Utah, that had a little ability with a diaphragm that was, you know, Wayne Carlton took. If Wayne Carlton would have <laughs> wouldn't have answered that phone, Alex, I would not be on the phone with you because my dad would have thrown them diaphragms in the trash. I'd have never learned how to use them. And, uh, you know, one guy took five minutes out of his life and it changed mine forever. And of course then to work with him and you and, and, you know, just all the guys from Matt Moran to Eddie Salter to Alex Rutledge, that's one of the biggest, biggest joys of my life is being able to say I worked with you, you know? Well, I, 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 I think the same thing about you, Al. I mean, you're a unique individual, and, man, the story that you just shared shows you what kind of man Wayne Calkin was. And I may just touch on it real quick. The guy that helped get me in the industry was Ray I and Marty I, you know? Yep. World yep. And they're the same kind of individuals, made same from the same cut, cut, cut from the same cloth as Wayne. Yeah, we're sharing our roots. It's in our roots to be outdoors men and women and, you know, and, and you, I know you're mentoring people now as well, and, and Wayne's chomping at the bit here to ask you something. Well, before he does, you got to go to a break. We're going to go to a break here quick, but ask the question, Wayne. Well, I was going to say, we'll have you answer after the break here, but my question for you is going to be something simple, and that is, do you find that it's only the old-timers, and, and, and I don't mean no offense by that, but yeah. we're all the same age sitting around the table here, except for Alex, he's a lot older than me. But, Watch uh, it, I'm not... <laughs> I do live across the road, though. Right, that street. Do you find that it's um, that the uh, ability to connect with people and just take that five minutes out and just teach a young kid is something that is lost with today's, um, I want to say, yeah. uh, superstars or whatever you want to call them. You know, whatever they want to call themselves coming up now, these young ones as opposed to the older ones, like we just talked about. Well, let's answer that as soon as we get back from break. And you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Relich and his friends. Hey, y'all, it's Tyler Farr, and you're listening to my good buddy, Mr. Alex Rutledge, on American Roots Outdoors. Around your heart, so you never gotta worry what the wind might do, American Roots. For whatever kind of fishing you want to do, Denali Rods has got the rod for you. 
Based in Mountain Home, Arkansas, Denali Rods has got rods for all types of fishermen, from the Covert Series to the Attack Series. They are the rod preferred by Alex Rutledge and American Roots Outdoors. Find a dealer near you by logging on their website, DenaliRods.com. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Alex Rutledge, and I love my Denali Rods. Apex Ammunition presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. And when we left off the last segment, Al, I'd ask you about uh, teaching, taking the time and teaching these young kids and, and just interacting with them, uh, how somebody took five minutes out of their, their day to answer your dad's phone call, and it changed your life forever. And it seems like nowadays, like when you go to the NWTF convention or some of these other conventions, and you run into some of these other people that are on TV or, or they're very well known in that, it, it's almost like, it, for not all of them, but some of them, it's like you're bothering them. Yeah. You know, and right. there are a few out there that you can approach and they'll talk to you and they, they don't care if there's the next person in line or not. They're not going to, you know, let you up until you're done with your questions. Uh, but that's right. far in between. You know, what, what's your viewpoint on, you know, what has happened in the industry? What's changed? Well, social media is what's changed all that. And it's mainly because these guys, you know, they start packing a camera around and, and they, they start shooting a few things or video. And I'm most of what I'm seeing on YouTube, guys aren't even killing stuff. They're just packing a camera around showing tracks and doing this. And all of a sudden they, they, they think they have a name in an industry or they, they think there's, you know, they puff their chests out and, uh, they're Instagram warriors, you know, they just, because they've got a following all of a sudden, people start subscribing and all of a sudden these people that really didn't learn the way we did, didn't have the mentorship we did, um, and they don't understand that mentorship because they've never mentored themselves with anyone. They just decided they were going to make themselves something on social media and they've done it. Congratulations to them. But they've lost that personal touch that personal relationship that we all strive to you know especially like you said the old school guys i mean you can still go to harrisburg pennsylvania and see turkey man uh eddie salter doing his thing and he'll take that five minutes for a kid and teach him something alex rutledge everywhere alex has ever been his whole life it's been about kids and disabled and alex has always put himself out there for those less fortunate or those kids that have that burning passion that he understands. And some of these people don't understand that they have a passion to be popular. But they don't have that passion, that hunting passion, that, that deep rooted sense of this is who I am. And people that know who they are, know where they came from and strive to be that quality individual. Um, those are the guys that I want to learn from and mentor. Yeah, you're, you're the same way, though, and I commend you. And, and the, the problem is, I just want to add lib to this, and Wayne and Redbone want to say something. Uh, it seems like a lot of these corporations, not all of them, some of them, have lost focus who helped bring them to the dance, who helped right. recruit members, who helped donate guided fishing trips, turkey hunts, speak at their banquets. They forgot who's helped them. And that, right. uh, it's left them All they look out is impressions. How many impressions are you getting a month on social media? Yeah. I, I'm not naming any organizations but, or corporations. I've had several forgot all about me ever helping them. 
You know, it, it, right. And that hurts. That hurts because you hurt. Uh, when when we have these sponsors and we ha- we invest that time in, we don't we don't have sponsors just to have sponsors. We we spot have sponsors that with stuff we believe in, and we live and die by. We bleed yeah. that brand. Um, yeah. We ride for the brand. Alex is the same way. Once you ride yeah. for a brand, you you always want to ride for that brand. It was hard to leave Hunter Specialties. Yeah, but uh, they forgot what brought them to the table. They, they lost track of it. it. Was the calls and 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 the compact, you know, uh, camel that that brought them to the table. They thought that underwear was going to be more important, and they lost yeah. their damn business over it. It was just hard. It's hard for people to remember who brought them to the dance and what brought them to the dance. Yeah, I was going to say, I know Mike will probably agree with this, but I know me and him have talked, you know, in, in between segments. Mike, Mike Waddell. N- no, uh, uh, oh, Mike Red. Redbone. Red Redbone. And that is that it seems like social media, you know, people nowadays, they don't have to leave to get their their image out. Where the old times, nope. they had to travel. They had to go to these opening of these businesses and these shows and stuff like that, and they got to interact with people. So they, they learned how to connect. Nowadays, right. people pick up a phone and they think because I made a 30-second video, I've connected with my audience. And I right. Think, and to add to that, the, 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 the guys, the, the goats, seriously, the goats that helped a lot of these corporations and organizations uh, don't know or have the technology to edit uh, awesome footage just and that. It, it appears that anybody that wants to hunt, if you're very good in social media, very good in editing, you can become somebody popular. Uh, right. That's that's what really uh, breaks my heart. You know the truth. Well, and it's, it's, to help it's start you know, and this like has all you. come about about the last ten years. You know, prior to that, you had to you had to do seminars. You had to you had to put yourself out there in different ways. Yeah. Now you can start a TikTok, a YouTube, and and you think you're somebody, and you might believe you're somebody. But we all those that know that help build some of these companies go, why did you put this person on your pro staff? He can't carry my gun case. Yeah. But uh, it's sad. Yeah, it is sad. But anyway, we're going to turn this into positive. I thank you for sharing all that. We all agree with everything you've said. Uh, We're going to wrap this show up here. We've got about 45 seconds to a minute here. Uh, Big Al, we appreciate you being on the radio show. We've got a bonus segment coming up. And everybody's listening. If you want to hear him calling uh, his prayer calling techniques, He's going to do it in a bonus segment. And Big Al, how can people follow you? You know that they can reach out to Big Al underscore Al Morris at Instagram and, and uh, follow us on Foxborough Hunting TV. And uh, that's where we're doing our business now. That's awesome. Guys, what a wonderful show. Wayne Redbone. Big Al, you've been a great guest. We'd love to have you on here more. We'd like to get you on here talking about uh, elk hunting this coming August possibly July to get everybody fired up. And, again, thank you for being on the show. And we have a slogan here, Big Al. You've never heard yep. of this podcast. And I'm going to let Wayne and Redbone wrap up the show and stay on the line with us to listen to the, the bonus segment. He's going to do some predator calling techniques for everybody to help get you started. Wayne? And to listen to the bonus segment, just go to your favorite podcast carrier, type in American Roots Outdoors, and click like, follow, whatever it says to do, and you'll get our updates every week when uh, a new one is released. And like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never gotta worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining
joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Eagle Seed and Eft Outdoors presents the bonus segment of American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. He has a couple of his friends actually here with him today. <laughs> they 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 Double. trust. They trudge through the ice and the snow in the in the great white north here of Surrey. Uh, of, uh, oh. I can't tell if that's real or if that's a cow. <laughs> that's so weird. Oh, you ain't kidding. Al, welcome back to the show, and uh, thanks for joining us for the podcast segment. And, uh... Speaking of calling, I could hear you were uh, getting a little excited there, and you got everybody else excited on calling techniques and that. So why don't we uh, start with some basic stuff here? I mean, what do you suggest new beginners uh, start out at? You know, the number one thing a child would respond to is single loan house. So whether it be a diaphragm or an external read, I just do that. Is You know, it's that, is anybody out there? It's just a... Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard a siren go through the town and all the dogs start barking? If there's any yeah. coyotes around, they'll start howling. But yeah. if you take any of these open reeds, you can kind of. Awesome. And then you'll get those coyotes to, to answer you back. So just remember that these guys don't over, don't, you know, everybody wants to make coyotes super smart and like almost uh, biblical uh, wiseness, how to avoid calls. If you'll just start speaking the way a coyote talks, and that's just uh, single loan howls, and then you can get more advanced into the challenges, which is just like a the regular howl, but it's just shorter, and they bark a lot more in front of us. And then, uh, you know, then you always they can go into some distress. Um, coyotes will come. Coyotes will come to five things. They're going to, they're curious about each other. So when they mm-hmm. hear other vocals, they're going to be curious. They'll protect their young in the springtime. When they have their pups, they'll fight to the death. That's when the dogging really works. And uh, they're extremely territorial. Mm-hmm. So not only will they protect the territory, they'll protect what's in it and when their pups are there. And then they're going to eat and they're going to fight. You know, they're going to, and so those five things are kind of what you want to fire on. But we all got to eat every day. And a coyote wants to eat, and we make this little four canine pup. It's great for calling elk. You can call big bulls in with this same call. But I turn it over, use my lower lip. And... You can sound like that old rabbit. And let's you know, seventy-five percent of a coyote's diet is small ground-dwelling mammals: moles, voles, mice, rabbits, stuff like that. The other twenty-five percent is your white-tailed deer. So if somebody wants to grow white-tailed deer, they have got to be hunting coyotes where they do that, or else those coyotes are killing those fawns. They'll get three to five fawns a year, just one coyote. And uh, so if you'll just take out one or two coyotes where you deer hunt, you just ensured that three to six um, fawns are going to make it. At least they won't die the first couple, three months of their life because that coyote isn't there to eat them. Do you know how many deer I have on my wise-eye cameras have split ears? 
a lot of people don't understand why they have splitters because coyotes trying to catch them as fawns. Yep. Yep, and they got lucky. And that's why you want to go in there and thin those coyotes because uh, you'll have more everything. You'll have more turkeys, more deer, more pheasants, whatever it is you want, quail. I mean, those those coyotes are going to hammer it. So we just need – it's like everything else. They need managed. We don't try to eradicate them. Hell, we love them. I've had anti-hunters call me, you know, because I've won a few contests and done a few things like that. They call me barbaric. I said, what's barbaric is to let um, animals run unchecked and, and not try to manage these populations. You know, if you have 100 coyotes, let's say you have 100 coyotes on your stuff, Alex. Yeah. You can kill 75 of those 100 coyotes, and the 25 left will get you back to 100 in one pup crop. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. So, so you know, what a renewable, wonderful renewable resource a coyote is. You can, you can lean on them kill quite a few of them, and you're still going to have that population. That's why we've never been able to get rid of the coyotes in North America. They just they they, they normally have four to six puppies per litter, but if uh, there's no other adults in the area and there's ample food, they can have 12 to 16 puppies per litter. Wow. And so, like white-tailed deer, I mean, they've become and very... Hogs, and hogs. Yeah, they become very adaptive to society. I mean, you see them in the suburbs. Absolutely. Talk about, hey, they were after my little dog, you know, my little... Yorkie or, you know, my, my cat hasn't never, has not come home and stuff like that. You know, and I, speaking of pups, and that, it leads me back to a question that one of your seminars that I, I attended years and years and years ago was that um, you had talked about you can't just go anywhere and just strike a call and boom, you're going to kill a coyote. you got to do your homework yeah. and find their home. Now, yep. you, you, you define home pretty well. I mean, so let everybody know, what do you mean by you need to find their home? Well, you know, a, a coyote, the, 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 best, the best way to find coyotes is where you've seen them. You know, where you've been in your tree stands, where you've got your ground blinds, where you hunt and you physically see a coyote, that's the number one place I'd start. And then you see their tracks and their stats. But I also travel around at night playing a coyote group, yip lo, you know, coyote group yip howls or coyote group locator or just that lone siren type of howl. And you can actually drive around an area every mile to two miles, depending on how far the sound is traveling, and uh, I'll inventory what's around there. And if you do it four or five, um, you know, wait a couple nights, do it again, wait a couple nights, do it again, you can start to track individuals from one side of the road to another, from your uncle's place to your, to your place. You know, you can start to track these coyotes, and you can figure out where their core home area is. And it can be, it can be 15 miles, it could be 50 miles, it can be one mile. You know, it just depends on what kind of living those coyotes are making and, and what they're, how far they have to travel to get food. And, and, you know, down there with Vandy Collins that we were hunting coyotes around in Alabama, we were hunting coyotes around a, um, a catfish farm. And those coyotes all looked like me. They didn't, when a catfish would die, they would just net it and throw it out. Those coyotes would eat them, man. They were all, they didn't need to come to. They did not need to come to a uh, rabbit distress. They didn't eat rabbits down there. They were eating those catfish, and so you had to go vocalizations. I I actually killed more most of my coyotes in in that um, in Alabama using gray fox pup distress. I think they were territorial about those those uh, and didn't want gray fox in there eating those catfish and stuff. So you know, you I just remember, if I may interrupt you, and I remember correctly, Vandy said there's no way he'll come down here and kill any of these coyotes. Nobody calls these coyotes in Alabama. You went down there and wore them out. How many did you yeah. kill? 
Well, we the last trip down there, I think we killed 11 in two and a half, three days. So, and that was daylight, you know. Every and everybody said I wouldn't do any daylight coyotes in Vermont. And we went up there in two and a half days and killed seven. And uh, you know, it's coyote to coyote to coyote. It doesn't matter whether uh, what Mike alluded to earlier was. Uh, it's how they learn to live in proximity with humans. Like your whitetails are learning how to live in proximity. So are the coyotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you, you've got to go in there and change your, change your thinking. You know, baby pig distress, little piggy. Uh, there's no pigs in Nevada, but I've killed a lot of coyotes in Nevada on little piggy. It just sounds like something squealing and dying. And those coyotes are going to come to the free. They're going to come to the free meal. They're going to come to the territorial stuff. The single loan howls are the number one thing they'll come to. Um, that's the key is, is we do a turkey calling too. Don't be one dimensional. You have to do, you know, you have to do all it. And with elk and, and turkeys, I've learned if I can call the hens or the cows in, the gobblers and the bulls are going to follow every time. And, and so that's what I concentrate on is learning how to call all of them in, not just the ones with horns or the, or the, or the ones with beards. Yeah, I think uh, Redbone and I were just talking uh, a couple weeks ago about all the coyotes we've been hearing at night. And I know Redbone's got them all around his place. Uh, he says he can just walk out the door. Isn't that right, Redbone? You can hear them all at night. Well, that's exactly right. And, and just about every night, about the time it starts getting dark, I can just go out and, and, and hear them to the north and the south and the east and the west. And uh, I got some coyotes. You know what they're doing, Redbone? Uh, yeah. They're assembling. Yes, they that's are. That's their assembly house. Mm-hmm. That is, they'll get on different ends of the woodlot. And the male, the old male, it's usually the old male that fires up first. Is everybody in position? Because here I come. And they're all waiting where they know those deer like to flush out. That big male goes down the middle howling his butt off, and everybody's assembling. They're trying to get those guys, and they're actually coordinating their attack for the nightly hunt. Yeah, getting those packs ready to go. All right, guys, we need to wrap it up here on the bonus segment. Uh, uh, Wayne, tell people how they can listen to the bonus and, and invite them to come back. Yeah, go to your favorite podcast carrier, uh, click in American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, uh, click like, subscribe, whatever it says, follow, and then uh, make sure you uh, leave a review because we're going to be drawing a winner here in the next couple weeks. Uh, Alex going to have something for us uh, to give away, and uh, we'll put that on our Facebook page. Go Make sure you go to the uh, American Roots Outdoors podcast page, and we'll give some details of what you can win. Hey, Big Al, will you sign something and send us something where some lucky winner would love to have something with their autograph on it? You bet, man. I'll, I'll uh, get a hat, and and we'll send it out, and uh, we'll even sign that thing. And, uh, you know, I'm a fan now. I'm going to look for American Root Outdoors. Yeah, please share this. And all of our listeners, please go to our YouTube channels, too, and subscribe. It doesn't cost you a dime. Uh, go to our website. You can listen to all of our podcast shows and watch all of our hunts and uh you want to get Fox Pro plug real quick, tell people how they can follow Fox Pro. Go to GoFoxPro.com. That's our website. We're on Fox Pro Hunting TV on YouTube, Amazon Prime, Roku, and now Carbon TV. Uh, they can catch everything we've done. we got 11, 12 seasons from the Outdoor Channel up and uh, everything we've done the last two or three years online. Outstanding. And Al, make sure when you uh, go to your uh, podcast and you look us up, make sure you leave a, uh, a review because you just might win an autographed hat from somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guarantee you uh, we'll pass it on to somebody, uh, one of the fans. 
we definitely want to have you as a guest on our show again. Thank you for being a brother, man, and thank you for what you stand for. And remember, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. Fear the wind. (laughs) 